Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Big Sam left Seattle in the year of 92 With George Pratt, his partner, and brother Billy, too They crossed the Yukon River and found the Bonanza Gold Below that old white mountain, just a little southeast of Nome Sam crossed the majestic mountains to the valleys far below I'll tell you, Alaska is a fascinating place. You know, actually, I, I I'm, I'm probably shouldn't say this, uh, but uh, I don't want to jeopardize anything. But um, in uh, two weeks, we're actually going to be airing in Alaska as well. There's a radio station in Alaska that's going to be carrying our show, which I'm excited about. Because while I've never been to Alaska, I have a lot of friends and family members that have been up there. And uh, they've described a surreal experience. And it, it just seems like a really... One of the last areas left in the United States where there's some real mystery, where there's some spirit of frontier life. And imagine my surprise when I learned of something called the Alaska Triangle. Some of you might have seen the Travel Channel show on this, the Alaska uh, Triangle But this is even more interesting than the state itself. Here to talk about that and a whole bunch of other things is Mike Ricksecker, an author, researcher, filmmaker, and uh, somebody that's been featured not only on the Travel Channel, but in a variety of other media outlets talking about Alaska's mysterious triangle. He's actually the author of a book by that very name. Mike, it's great to talk with you. Thanks for joining me on the radio. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me tonight, Frank. Appreciate it. Mike, uh, the pleasure is ours. A lot of folks have heard of the Bermuda Triangle, and uh, I guess what a lot of folks know about the Bermuda Triangle, at least the myth surrounding the Bermuda Triangle, is that um, it's an area where things tend to disappear. Planes tend to do odd things, ships tend to do odd things, and uh, things just sort of go off the map, quite literally, in the Bermuda Triangle. The Alaska Triangle is... A little bit less known, but as you describe it, it is one of the most enigmatic places on Earth. What exactly is the Alaska Triangle? Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it is a very enigmatic place on Earth. And what's funny is, for a while, people would call the Alaska Triangle Alaska's Bermuda Triangle. You know, using the, the moniker uh, from from the Bermuda area there, and really, it does have a lot of the same type of activity where there are missing airplanes, missing people, a lot of strange supernatural activity, UFO sightings. Uh, There are strange things that happen with ships up there. And so uh, a lot of that same activity that we see in Bermuda, we see in Alaska. And there are several of these other triangle areas of the world that are a little bit lesser known, but are just as volatile. You write that since 1988, over 16,000 people have mysteriously gone missing uh, within the Alaska Triangle. That's remarkable. 
It really is. It's a very large number, especially considering how low the population is in Alaska. You know, you're, you're talking a, a state that's over 600,000 square miles in size. It's two and a half times the size of Texas, yet the population is only about the size of the city of San Francisco. Of course, it's spread out a little bit. So 16,000 is quite a lot of people, and really that's a number we've been throwing around for a couple of years now, so it's it's even more so. And Alaska even has an, an organization uh, called the Alaska Missing Persons Clearinghouse to try to help with some of these cases of missing people up there. I mean, what um, geographic area does the Alaska Triangle include? I imagine, obviously, given the title, it's a, a good chunk of Alaska, but does it include areas beyond Alaska? Is it um, mostly land? Is it land and water? What? How big of an area is the Alaska Triangle? Yeah, it's, it's land and water, and it is a very large area, about 188,000 square miles, stretching from Juneau in the south, Anchorage in the middle, and then Yukiavik, which uh, was formerly known as Barrow, at the very top. And it, the strange phenomenon does extend outside that area, doesn't you know uh, retain itself within a, a perfect triangle. We we use that term mostly out of you know reverence, I guess, for the Bermuda Triangle. And even with that, the activity stretches outside. It was a uh, a nice way to market a book in the late 1940s sure. because that sounds really mysterious. Ooh, a triangle. Um, but, you know, it's, it's generally around that area. What are the theories as to what may cause so much of these unexplained activities, so much of these unexplained disappearances? Yeah, there's, uh, you know, each case has its own different theory, but really, you know, what's going on there in these triangle areas is you're talking about a lot of strange electromagnetic activity. And so uh, when we talk about that, we're we're talking about, you know, the the Earth's core is, is molten iron, and as it spins it produces a magnetic field, which is what protects our planet from uh, the, the solar wind that comes from the sun. But as it passes through the Earth's mantle and crust, it interacts with a lot of different metals, minerals, water, things like this, that when it hits that and creates that interaction, it creates a lot of uh, different strange activity. And even the uh, uh, U.S. Department of the Interior has done surveys up there in Alaska and has, uh, has defined what they've called distinct magnetic characters, including what they also call uh, negative anomalies. So they're quite aware that there is strange electromagnetic activity in that area, and that is what will cause airplanes or ships or things like this uh, to have adverse uh, reactions with their uh, navigational equipment or compasses and, and things of that nature. Wow. Now, you alluded to the fact that uh, there have been some uh, UFO sightings and things of that nature, maybe some extraterrestrial activity. Tell us uh, tell us a little bit more about that. What have we seen in that vein in the Alaska Triangle? Yeah, one of the most famous sightings was uh, 1986, a Japanese airline, 1628. And in this particular case, uh, Captain Tarashi and his crew witnessed shadowing them this strange uh, unidentified flying craft and it uh, it shadowed them for a good 400 miles 
a United Airlines flight got into the mix on that. And they had a very long conversation with the Anchorage Air Traffic Control about this. Uh, they had gotten to the point of talking, talking about scrambling some military jets and things like that. Uh, what's interesting is that after the fact, uh, you know, the, the Alaska media had heard about this, and they started basically uh, you know, pounding at the door of the FAA, wanting some answers as to what was going on. And an investigation was, was launched, and they gathered all of these uh, radio conversations and the flight data and all of that. And it became this big investigation, included the FBI, the CIA. Uh, Reagan had a uh, the Reagan administration had a science team that was involved. They were very interested in all of this material that came out a bit, but uh, all of a sudden it went away very quietly. There was, um, you know, of course, a, a nice little conspiracy theory behind it that the uh, CIA put the kibosh on it. Uh, but that's been the most significant sighting. But there have been many, many sightings in Alaska when it comes to UFO activity. Interesting. Now, you also uh, d- delve into exploring time travel a bit within the Alaska Triangle. Now, this is something that uh, a lot of folks question whether it's even theoretically possible, let alone whether we've ever seen it uh, on Earth as it is to this point. What uh, what nexus is there within the Alaska Triangle and time travel? Yeah, you know, when it comes to time travel, and you're right, this is a uh, an area where people kind of have a hard time getting their heads around, and I understand that because, you know, have we really seen it? And I believe we have seen that in the form of time slips. I, I believe what's what's happening, uh, there, there are many people, you, you, you see this come out in our theoretical physics in some areas, the idea that all time, instead of being linear like a river, is actually all concurrent, past, present, future, all happening uh, at the same time, but on a different wavelength, on a, on a different frequency. And if that is true, and you have two moments in time that happen to resonate at the same frequency at the same time, then you may get a glimpse of that other point in time. So that could be some of these cases in which people are seeing uh, apparitions and paranormal activity and, and those particular, what we would call a ghost or something like, like that, turns toward the person and looks at them and interacts with them as if they are the ghost. So it's like this uh, crossing over two moments of, in time. And this is something that I actually believe that I witnessed there when I was stationed in Alaska in the United States Air Force, where we were seeing what we would call shadow activity in the basement of the Alaska command building. And it seemed in, in those cases when we would see that activity, that it was either personnel from the past or the future, or maybe even ourselves that we were kind of vaguely interacting with. Interesting. So is that what first sparked your interest in the Alaska Triangle, your time in the Air Force? Oh, absolutely. When, when I was stationed up there, I spent three years up there in the 90s, 92 to 95, and there was a lot of strange activity that happened up there. I mean, you know, I was a young, I was a young kid, and this was, you know, the great big wild country. So I was, I was amazed, you know, seeing uh, the auroras and uh, and having to deal with the snow and ice and, and those sorts of things. But you know, there were always strange things that would happen. Like uh, you know, a couple months after I was first stationed up there, there's an airplane taking off from. Uh, the Anchorage Airport, you know, only got about 
1,500 feet in the air, and all of a sudden the engine fell right off the airplane, landed in a supermarket parking Whoa. lot. Yeah, yeah, it was bizarre. And what's even, I mean, fortunately, uh, but still very bizarre, is nobody got hurt. You know, plane turned around, landed back at the airport. Uh, the engine landed on the back side of the parking lot where nobody was parked, and even some of the shrapnel that fell off the airplane and fell through people's roofs of their houses, uh, and it, it never touched anybody. It, they were finding shrapnel embedded in the floor of their house, and, and that was it. So it was very fortunate nobody got hurt, but still a very, very bizarre incident. And people that I was talking to up there were saying, yeah, that's an only an Alaska moment. You'll, you're going to witness some of those. Mm. Uh, we're talking with Mike Ricksecker. You could check out his uh, website where he delves not only into this, but a wide variety of other mysteries at Mike com. That's R-I-C-K-S-E-C-K-E-R.com. You know, one of the things that uh, may explain ships that go missing, airplanes that go missing, and in some ways it's a more uh, acceptable answer in a place like Alaska as opposed to Bermuda or the Caribbean is the weather. Obviously, when we think of Alaska, we think of snow, we think of icy conditions, we think of long winters and maybe uh, diminished vision when you're piloting an airplane or uh, navigating a ship. Could a lot of these missing planes and missing ships in the Alaska Triangle be explained due to poor weather or poor visibility? Oh, certainly, and in, and many are. Uh, some are found years later, and it, it's deduced uh, through the investigation that you know weather came into into play there. But then you have others in which, you know, like in 1950, a Douglas Skymaster that took off from Elmendorf Air Force Base. Uh, it was a fine. It was a perfectly fine day. And all of a sudden, somewhere as they were crossing over Alaska into Canada around the snag area, just completely disappeared. Uh, you know, their last communication, everything was perfectly normal. Everything was perfectly fine. Uh, and yet it completely went missing. Now, the uh, United States uh, military teamed up with the Canadian military. They were running joint military exercises at the time. They took a bunch of thousands of soldiers off of that to go look for this plane. Uh, they were running a, a bunch of aerial missions to try to find it. Nothing was ever found. And what's, what's bizarre about this is just a couple of weeks later, another plane went down around that same area. It was smaller. They found that immediately. There's some different theories as to what exactly happened, one of which is just before that plane went missing and just after, there are a couple of UFO sightings in the area. So some people speculate that maybe the uh, UFOs were involved in this disappearance. Mm -hmm. One of the really interesting aspects of your book deals with a subject that you tackle in Chapter 7. And uh, the book is, if people want to check it out, they can get it on Mike's website or on Amazon. The book's called Alaska's Mysterious Triangle. And you theorize that some of the missing airplanes that have disappeared in the Alaska Triangle might have been lost through portals and maybe that some of these planes could have been transported through these portals and taken back in time, and that could have actually become some of the Thunderbird legends of old that uh, indigenous peoples in the area and elsewhere 
were describing using the only kind of knowledge they had at the time. Is that just pure conjecture on that point, uh, on, on that theory, or is there some evidence to support that? Well, you know, and that's a, that's a great question. Uh, the, the conjecture part of that would be, uh, did the airplane pass through a portal? That we, we don't have proof of. We do know that portals exist. You know, NASA has even talked about a portal just outside the, the Earth uh, that they call an X point, in which is basically the Earth's magnetic shield and the solar wind, that area where it hits that actually creates a portal that opens and closes, and they're still trying to learn how that actually functions. Of course, you have, you have the, uh, the idea of the Einstein-Rosen bridge, uh, which we commonly refer to as a, as a wormhole. So people speculate that something like the, uh, the Douglas Skymaster that went missing, that perhaps one of these X points or wormholes or portals, whatever you want to call it, uh, opened and it passed through there. Uh, the, one example of that happening uh, would have been Bermuda, uh, Bermuda Triangle, Bruce Gurnan, uh, where he passed through something that he called an electronic fog that, uh, that morphed into some sort of tunnel within the clouds. And he all of a sudden, in about three minutes, traveled 100 miles. So he was either uh, projected forward in time or somehow sped up his plane. Uh, but in any case, yeah, the the idea is if it did pass through this portal, and that's what happened, and it went backwards in time, then, yeah, what would that look like to the indigenous peoples of the area? The only context that they would have at the time is some sort of a thunderous bird, uh, something very, very loud. And, you know, this is, you know, when we look at some of the, like, ancient gods and uh, you know, other ancient creatures of lore, you know, is there some sort of real world context other than myth uh, that these things may have been? And we have to start looking at that because we keep finding, you know, more and more evidence of uh, some more, more than expected advanced technology in our ancient past that could account for, hmm. uh, you know, some of these legends. You also point out the fact that in addition to the high electromagnetic activity in the Alaska Triangle, there have also been strange sporadic radio transmissions. Tell us about that, and what are some of the theories as to what those might be? Yeah, the, the radio transmissions uh, were another one that were involved with the uh, the Douglas Skymaster. I know we keep going back to that. Sure, one. no, that's important. Uh, but, there was a, but there was a lot involved with that, yeah. Um, and, and that was really strange. You know, they did pick up some um, some strange cryptic radio transmissions uh, that they could not triangulate. They couldn't figure out where exactly they were coming from. They speculated that, you know, it was coming from the, the Douglas Skymaster. And again, if it wasn't, it had gone through this portal, you know, why wouldn't we be able to, you know, see or find the airplane, yet we would be hearing its transmissions? And, uh, you know, that's that's one of those theories that, well, you know, that sound works on a different wavelength than, than light and, uh, you know, the way a portal would work and things like that. So, therefore, we may be able to hear it you know, pass through that portal, but not be able to get to the airplane. Hmm. Uh, you also mentioned that uh, there's been a number of uh, sightings of 
cryptids, uh, something that uh, we've covered on this show a bit as uh, Bigfoot sightings. What have we seen in terms of uh, cryptids or Bigfoot sightings within this geographic area of the Alaska Triangle? Yeah, they have uh, quite a few legendary creatures in Alaska. Sasquatch is definitely one of them. There's one that they refer to as Harry Man, which is around the uh, Port Chatham, Port Lock area. It would be a derivative of a of a Sasquatch. Uh, there's an interesting Inuit legend of the Kushtaka, which is similar to our Wendigo legends of the Great Lakes, where it's you know, a creature that lives out in the woods, lures people out there, and will do one of two things. Either it will devour the person or it will turn the person into another Kushnika, which, is, again, is very similar to the Wendigo legends. Uh, there's the Lake Iliamna uh, monster, which is similar to the, the Loch Ness reports. Uh, but, you know, I, I think more credible uh, people were actually involved with, with those sightings. Uh, and then you have the, uh, the legends of giants, and that's one that really fascinated me because – uh, those legends were coming straight from uh, the Inuit lore. And with their – you had uh, Michael Kazignuk, who in the 1930s, uh, as he was nearing the end of his life, wanted to write out all of the uh, legends and history and, and lore uh, of his people. And he wrote this massive 500-page tome with all of this information, and he had a large section on giants that traversed from Siberia into the area. And some of the ways he described the stories were very, very similar to uh, stories that we have out of the Bible, out of you know that were similar to the Nephilim stories. And that was really interesting to me because of you know, how are we ending up with Nephilim stories mm. in Alaska? It was something totally unexpected. Uh, no doubt about it. Absolutely. Hey, uh, before I let you go, Mike, I know you're a baseball fan as I am. Now that we're down to the final four teams, we have the Astros, the Yankees, the Padres, the Phillies. Who are you rooting for? Uh, give me a World Series prediction and give me your rooting interest in both the National League and the American <laughs> League at this point. Oh, a lot of your listeners probably aren't going to like me. I'm a Red Sox fan, so I have to root against the Yankees. Um, but, you know, I, I also don't like the Astros so much either. So I guess I'm kind of rooting for the Phillies at this point. Well, you know, it, it is interesting. I'm a Met fan, so uh, I, there, oh, okay, I, certainly, I certainly think that uh, there are more – Yankee haters in our area than uh, than you may realize. Hey, uh, gotcha. it's great talking with you, Mike. Uh, we'll talk again soon. Uh, the next time, between now and uh, Halloween, maybe we can even have a discussion about shadow people. That would be fantastic. All right. Mike Ricksecker, if you want to check out his books, you can go to MikeRicksecker.com. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences 
services in the industry. Call now or go to prioritygold.com. 